You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Megan Riepenhoff. Megan, thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Megan, we're talking on August 4th in 2022. We're going to talk about your uh, upcoming show at um, Yossi Milo. And uh, I know you're on Bainbridge Island now. So just to begin with, um, what's it like on Bainbridge Island? Why are you there? Well, we came here for my partner's work several years ago. And a big draw for me was that I could actually get affordable studio space here. I was based in San Francisco and my studio there was 200 square feet and I realized I wanted to make prints that were larger than that footprint and we had the opportunity to come here and my sort of demand in the negotiation was that I could have a really large studio space and you know like most artists it was just a glorified garage but it provided me the space to go bigger with my work and to get more experimental with my work and as far as living here it's been hugely fruitful for my practice. Uh, One of the things that Bainbridge has to offer is damp, beautiful, mossy forests. And recently I've been collaborating with mushrooms and the fungal network that exists out here. And so being in this space has really opened doors in my practice that I I think I wouldn't have found in the city as much as I love and, uh, and loved San Francisco. That sounds that sounds beautiful. Um, mossy forests, you know. I've yeah, I've never been there, but that sounds that sounds gorgeous. So to to jump into your work then, and how, and how you work. You're a photographer, um, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, and, I'm an and, artist who uses photography. Let's say. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's it's it's, it's experimental. Is is how I would I would I would I would frame it for sure. But um, yeah. But right, you're an artist using photography and. Um, and so, while I want to talk about the upcoming work, let's talk about how you're collaborating with the forest there. What does that mean exactly? How do you use the forest, and how does that create uh, prints? Because you're, you're, you tend to make kind of large-scale prints, right? You talked about getting out of that 200-square-foot, wanting a, a bigger footprint than that. Um, that speaks to the size of your work, which is, which is often quite large, right? Could mm-hmm. be anywhere from 6 by... 12 in a kind of triptych form. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Correct, and it it can be much larger. Um, I have a piece up right now at SF MoMA that's about 12 feet tall and 20, I think, 8 feet wide, so they can get quite large. And let's talk about how you how you collaborate with the moss in the in the in the woods and 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 everything else, the mushrooms. Um, What's happening there? How does that work exactly? Yeah. So. I started working with cyanotype about a decade ago pretty seriously in collaboration with shorelines. And in my practice now, I'm working primarily with freezing and frozen landscapes. So the collaboration looks kind of like this. I am coating materials, uh, paper, in a relatively dark space with cyanotype chemistry and then taking that prepared paper, which is at that point light sensitive, out into the landscape and working with what the elements are doing at the time that I get out into the landscape. 
So in the case of the ice work, I am going out during the winter and collaborating with falling ice, with water that is on the cusp of freezing, with icicles that are melting, and with snow. And so what that means is my work is directly engaging with the environment. So if things are freezing, the work is actually freezing. If things are melting, then there's material running across the surface of the paper in the way that ice is messy and organic when it melts. So debris from the landscape, such as a little speck of dirt or um, my dog's fur or a hair of mine landing on the paper, all of these elements that are happening while I'm working, they are all shaping the formation of the ice crystals. Ice has this really beautiful way that it is responsive to what it encounters. And so the water organizes on a microscopic level according to what it physically is coming in contact with. And typically we think about that in terms of humidity or temperature and the conditions of the air that the water is encountering as it freezes. But with my prints, any intervention on the surface of the paper also dictates the form that the ice crystals make on the surface of the print. So the, the pieces really become this fingerprint of time and place where like what is happening exactly when I'm making the pictures shapes the, the formations that occur. Okay. That's, you know, that's so fascinating to, to just break apart some of that. Um, mm -hmm. That makes a print, you know, you're talking in photographic terms, right? This isn't mm -hmm. a print in, in, in the way we normally think about it. To, to, I mean, to, to step back a little bit, and for some listeners who don't know what a cyanotype is, although it will be linked and you can certainly look up the definition, typically uh, you see sometimes children even using them today, these packets mm -hmm. of sun prints, right, which is mm -hmm. a piece of paper that's, that's uh, sensitized in such a way, usually with a particular blue or always with a blue, it seems, and you take them out into the sun and people make uh, typically photograms on them, right? You lay mm -hmm. a leaf on it, you put something on it, you leave it there for a while, and then it, it kind of fixes on its own, I, I guess, or, or I don't know if you put it in with water. With water. And then you, you, with water. It fixes with water. And, and so, so then you're left, and it takes a while, right, I guess, to do that. So then you're left with this kind of image that's a kind of a ghost of an image almost on paper. So this isn't, when you talk about making a print and bringing a large paper out into, you know, the, the forest and that's sensitized and it's interacting with all these materials and that's what forms the print, it's, it's a unique piece. This is, this is a, yeah. A, 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 yeah. So, um, because I just, just to, to separate that, right. I mean, we still talk about prints, but in fact, it's, it's not quite a print, right. Or, or is it, it has aspects of print making in it, I guess, because elements are, are interacting. Uh, I mean, not to get too technical, but how do you, how do you think of that term? Like a print? Yeah, well, one of the things that I find exciting about my work is it does overlap into several, um, let's say, spheres of, of art making. So sometimes they're three-dimensional, so they can become quite sculptural. Sometimes they almost read as like conceptual drawings or paintings where like the elements are, are making the marks um, as opposed to my hand. And then I do refer to them as prints using that in the traditionally photographic language. So um, cyanotype is kind of interesting because it, it speaks to like the fundamentals of the photographic process, 
light chemistry water. That's how the print occurs, and um, it's very kind of foundational in the way we think about early photographic uh, practice. And specifically, cyanotype for, for me was the material that I chose to use for this work a decade ago when I started Literal Drift because I was inspired by Anna Atkins, who is largely considered the first female photographer. Now, Atkins was looking at photography in, in the sense of it being a tool for scientific illustration. So she was collecting specimen from the shoreline of algae and seaweed, drying those, and then placing them on top of the paper, as you described, and making photogram prints with just the sun exposing the paper, and then she would wash it in order to stabilize the image. I was inspired by that early photography, and I thought that I wanted to use the material she was using, but to make the shoreline both the material and the process in my work. So it's kind of in the spirit of photography, um, in the way that photography has continued to redefine itself, in the way that practitioners have continued to shape the medium by, by trying new things with the materials, and also in the sense that it's very much rooted in those fundamental tools and techniques of photographic practice. It's, 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 it's so interesting. It's such a fascinating medium. To, to speak of one work, which uh, I recently saw a very large work um, at Yossi Milo, was uh, Waters of the Americas is the title, Eastman Kodak's mm -hmm. Emissions, a Confluence of the Genesee River and Lake Ontario in Rochester, this is a, a triptych. This is um, from 2022. Uh, gorgeous print to see up close. And, um, and so tell me a little bit about this because this was, I, I, I don't know exactly how, if, if this was part of like an Eastman Kodak, um, you know, grant commission, but there's, it looks like there's a number of things going on here. Mm -hmm. Besides the print itself and the size, and we can talk about that. There's specific content here, isn't there? This is literally about, uh, and please correct me if I'm wrong, like the emissions that Eastman Kodak deliver from yes. photographic processes. Yeah, right? so, you know, w working directly with the environment has given me a lot of opportunity to think about our connection with the landscape and our connection with waters and how we operate within them. And, of course, most of our actions as humans have some sort of environmental impact, be that positive or negative. Um, and I started thinking a lot about photography and the way that it has both been a catalyst for beautiful, positive environmental change and social change and the way that we've used photographic images to put policies in place to protect the environment. And at the same time, Kodak created four Superfund sites in the United States. And so I wanted to work in a way that was nodding to the complexity of photography and both the difficulty of the materials on the landscape and its capacity to really connect us with the landscape and create a more sort of copacetic relationship with the environment. So I went to the confluence of the Genesee River, which is where one of Kodak's main plants is perched, and Lake Ontario, which is where the Genesee River empties. And I worked right there at that meeting place of those two bodies of water. And so it's really a nod to, to the very complicated way that we experience our, our environment and the ways that we 
impact it sort of across the spectrum of experience from from supporting it and nurturing it to damaging it through our desires and our artistic visions. And this, this work itself, um, mm-hmm. there's a combination of things, correct? This is a, this is a Santa type that, that does look like uh, waves, you know, it has, uh, mm-hmm. hopefully we'll have an image of it here, but it almost looks like in parts like the Japanese woodcuts, the Hosukai woodcuts, mm-hmm. you know, that it's, it's this beautiful sense of motion. The background um, is not cyanotype. Is, is that correct? You're, you're painting or using ink or something else? Is, is that what's happening here? The whole thing is cyanotype. Yeah, the entire, uh, it's a triptych, as you mentioned, and from edge to edge on each element of the triptych, it's cyanotype. And I think what you're seeing is a distinction between where the water is encountering the cyanotype and where it is not. Oh, that's fascinating. So, so, because <laughs> yeah. so, 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 it almost looks like like brush strokes, but those brush strokes is is the brushing of the, uh, of, the of the chemical on here that is what's correct. creating an exposure. Is that correct? Yes, that's uh, like the first step of making the work. Like we cut the paper and we brush the chemistry on. And I'm not super attached to the kind of coating with cyanotype that creates like a beautiful, even smooth surface with no brush stroke. I love the tactility of showing that we have like hand applied this material and then we take that out and engage again tactily with the environment. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it's such a gorgeous print um, or series this this triptych. Um, what I also noticed, and this must be something I imagine that you're kind of in love with, the range of blues is just extraordinary. Mm-hmm. It's a certain type of blue, and mm-hmm. uh, you know that, that's so peculiar that probably anybody who's ever had any familiarity with cyanotypes knows. But in, in this particular uh, triptych, and in others too, but but. Talking about this one, it seems that the range of blues is incredible, which strikes me as this photographic thing too, right? like the range of grays. But the blue mm. is so right. It's almost kind of like a meditation on this type of blue. This and and the range of them um, is, is is what is remarkable to me. It's 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 monochromatic, almost. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm I'm so fascinated by by the color blue. Um, I, I grew up Catholic, and so I spent a lot of time staring at stained glass windows that had that kind of like East Klein blue in them. Um, but then also Rebecca Solnit, who is the writer for my forthcoming book, Ice, which will be released with the exhibition in September at Yossi Milo Gallery. Of course, I've read the way she's written about blue, and I felt like you know, sometimes you find a writer who says all of the feelings that you've had, but you haven't been able to verbally articulate them. It's like she is saying the things that I am showing in my blue. And so um, this Prussian blue pigment, which is what cyanotype turns into with exposure from the sun, it becomes Prussian blue pigment, has this incredibly rich range that is directly impacted by the specifics of the waters that I encounter. And then one thing that I want to point out about the blue in my images is that my, my pictures are intentionally only partially chemically processed. So they are dynamic. And for me, this work was a, a, an important way for me to think about impermanence. And 
not only the impermanence. So wait, well, one second, one second. By partially yeah, conscious, yeah. I mean, these are going to change over time. Yes, yeah. And okay, okay, yeah, so so that, yeah. Yeah, so I mentioned that they're a collaboration with the landscape, but it turns out they're a collaboration with everything they encounter throughout their lives. So if someone takes a peace of mind and it is hermetically sealed in a pitch black room, it will behave very differently than if someone takes a picture of mine and hangs it on a south-facing wall with no UV glazing. And so there's this way that um, the, the viewers and the people that potentially own them or the museum or the closet that they live in are all shaping the way that the pictures shift and grow throughout time. That's beautiful, you know, and, and uh, I love that. I'm, I'm so glad you talked about that in particular. And the, the show that's, that's coming up, that's also the title of, of the book, as I understand it, ICE, which opens in September 10th, October 22nd of this year, uh, has, will have a number of works in it. One, one thing I wanted to ask about that is, is in the triptych that we're talking about, mm-hmm. when I was looking at it, when you get very close, especially to the second panel, there's a surface on there. There's something that's happening that, that looks almost like something from a forest. Mm-hmm. There's, there's something built up there. There's something that looks like it's growing, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. Um, what is that? And will there be more of that? Because that isn't the kind of, the kind of flat surface of, of the, the, that we're used to from cyanotypes or even photographic prints in general. There's a, there's a, there's a texture, there's something building up that looks kind of, again, organic, something almost like a, a forest floor or lichen or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what's, what, what compelled me about the ice work is the way that it shows this kind of network of molecular organization of, of water. And we see that kind of webbing and networking you know, in scans of brain activity, in the mycelial network under the forest floor, in images of the cosmos, we see this kind of interconnectivity illustrated through many facets of the world in which we live. And the the physicality that you're expressing about it, like on top of the surface of the paper, as opposed to like in it, is because I, I, I handle cyanotype um, in this way that I discovered and it's improper, it's not the way you're supposed to use it, but the result is that it yields um, a a buildup of the chemistry on top of the surface of the paper. So things etch into the chemistry, and the chemistry builds up. And so there is a very subtle topography in a lot of the prints where the crystals are either sort of have grown kind of up on the surface or they've kind of etched into the surface of the paper. So there is a slight three-dimensional or relief element to the pictures. And will there be more of that? Is that something you're using more now in the upcoming show? Is that what we're we're also going to see? Yeah, well, every, every print is different. And so you'll see prints from the Great Salt Lake. You'll see prints from... Kodak's waters, you'll see prints from Western Washington, Colorado, and each one will have a different way that the the qualities and the conditions that I encountered work themselves into a print. That's exciting. Well, I I wish you well in this upcoming show. Um, I'm really looking forward to it myself. And I want to ask you one more question, uh, which Mm -hmm. is off topic, but what are you reading at the moment? Right now, I'm reading The Nutmeg's Curse, 
and the the sub title for that is Parables for a Planet in Crisis, and it's by Amitav Ghosh, and I'm about maybe a quarter of the way into it and, and totally compelled, but I confess that I typically have three or four books going at once, so I'm trying to stay the course with this one and not pick up any other ones to get distracted. Megan, thank you so much for talking with me today. I wish you well with your upcoming show, and again, thank you so much. Thank you, Brainerd. I hope you have a good one. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.